belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for February 18th, 2024 is called Hold On. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Central United Methodist Church Chapel in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome. Welcome. Um, so I'm Laura Holland. I know all of you guys, but I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to share a little bit about myself to, tonight um, because we are going to, to start doing more of this. I know that, Beth, you did it last week, and we're going to take some time um, during welcome and announcements to get to know one another a little bit better. Um, and part of that is with a church our size, it can be really easy to think that you know everybody. And then sometimes you get in conversations and you're like, I know their favorite color, but like, that's it. So this is to help us hopefully move beyond that a little bit. So again, I'm Laura. My husband is Tim. He's not here today. Um, my son is Eli. Eli, wave. Or not. Whoop, whoop. And then my daughter, Charlie, and um, we have been attending Grace since, I think, May 2020. So clearly high time for us to like, really become socially engaged. We um, started on Zoom and continued on Zoom for a long time, but have absolutely loved this community and being able to be a part of um a part of a family where we know that anyone that we want to invite with us is going to be welcomed and is going to be just brought right in. Like that was something that was really important to us. Um, I grew up in Fayetteville, graduated from the university, moved to um, DC where I lived for about 15 years and where I met Tim. And while I was there, I served as a small groups pastor and um, loved community building and gathering people. So I finished. Well, I started after that um, a program with uh, Portland Seminary, and I graduated this May. And whoop whoop! And um, so I'm excited to be able to continue um, that community building here with what we are doing um, at Grace. So that's me. Now for the announcements. I have them here. All right. The January financial update. Several people were asking for that, and it was included in this week's newsletter. So it should be in your email inbox. Um, if not, talk to Stacy about that. Um, also, Seven Hills is desperately in need of help organizing their donations. Teresa Cornett apparently is very happy to go with first timers if they need some help. Um, but they're also, if you're just interested in finding out more, there's more info available on their website, on our newsletter. Again, sign up for the newsletter if you're not getting that. Um, or you can talk to Teresa when she's around. Perfect. Or Stacy. Perfect. Um, the Lent practice guide for 2024 is available on the blog portion of our website. Um, and it was also sent out via email last week. So look for that if you didn't see it. Kids table is tonight. I think that's 
we have kids table. Um, and then finally, I'm super excited. Table groups launch this week. If you have not signed up yet, you can sign up on the website under the connections tab. We have four different groups that are meeting various days, various times throughout Fayetteville. Um, if you have any questions, you can ask me. All of the info is on the website. And um, group leaders and hosts, would you mind standing up? They already are. Meg, Kevin? OK. So if you are, no, you're supposed to be standing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you are interested in learning more about a group but have not yet signed up, these are the people to, to talk to. So with that, you guys can sit down now. Thanks. Um, with that, we have our question for this week to get us into the, the headspace of our message. And our question is, when is a time that you really felt that God was speaking to you? Discuss amongst yourselves. All right, everybody. Um, also, that was um, Dr. Laura Holland. Um, she did mention that she was done, but she's Dr. Laura Holland after that, with that. So, And also, she mentioned um, the stuff that you can see on the website. And really want to shout out to Betty and Stacy for the work they did on getting the new website. And Zach, yes, Zach's been incredible, Zach Trout. But they were guiding that with Zach and did a fantastic job. If you haven't looked at it lately, it's totally redone. It's great. So, so as we enter this season of Lent, we're taking the time to make a few adjustments to our liturgy, which you're going to experience today. We're going to continue with the communal confession. Um, if you got one, they should they should have Betty printed some off, so they're out there. We'll read that together. But also, just as a as a heads up, we it was always been our intention to take communion together. And we, we did it spontaneously last Sunday um, because of the abbreviated session. And then I remembered, wait, we were always doing this. We stopped because of um, some health concerns around one of the outbreaks of COVID. So now that, now that we're back, we remembered, hey, this is what we were, we're going to do. So today, after, um, when we take communion, you'll come up, you'll receive the elements, you'll come back, but hold them, and then we're all going to take them together. And we're going to sing the doxology as we do that. So that's coming towards the end. And that's that's just a minor adjustment, but that's what we're looking at doing. Uh, I don't know that we can with this many people. We could we could try. I'm up. We just just you're just going to have to lace through the the pews when we do that. So be aware, everybody. Be aware as we do that. So. Well, let's take some time and bring our, bring our presence here, bring our attention here, bring our awareness here. It's been a beautiful day outside. Um, but now as we, as we conclude our week and get ready to step into next week, let's set this time apart really to pay attention to what the Spirit is doing among us. So take a couple breaths with me. 
God, you've gathered us here together. So we ask that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to wisely discern, and hearts to love and obey whatever you show us. Help us be courageous, full of grace for ourselves and for others, and attentive to your spirit. So we're going to do this new communal confession. It's one that we'll repeat as we study Hebrews, and you'll find thematically that there are some elements here. So I will read the parts that are in normal type. Everything together in bold, we read that together. And we'll end by praying the Lord's Prayer together at the end. Rejoice. Grace Church culminates our Sabbath day, our gift of rest and renewal. God gives us Sabbath as freedom from and freedom for. Hang on, Grace Church. We were never promised an easy road. We have the promises and person of Jesus with us every step of the way. We have the testimony of those who have gone before us to encourage us and enlighten us. We have been given each other in this community of followers to rejoice with, grieve with, grow with, and work with. Grace be to you now and forever in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing. sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted the rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come kneel earth has no sorrow heaven can heal earth has no sorrow heaven So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who 
podcast. Um, my name is John Ray. Welcome to Grace Church today. Um, my friend sat across from me nursing a sour beer. 
his beaded African tribal bracelet circling each tanned wrist. His face lit up when he talked about his recent wedding in Bozeman, celebrated by friends from three continents. But it also showed weary from a work travel schedule that's grueling for even someone with his youth and kinetic energy. As we caught up over a picnic table right across the street at Puritan, he described the fear he shares with many of his closest friends. They've all left the evangelical fold they grew up in, trusted and then watched dissolve into scandals and frail fundamentalist fictions that fell apart in the outside world. He, like many of them, are starting to start families and raise their kids, and they're wondering where are they going to take them? How are they going to impart what they still claim to hold on to, but apart from the community that confesses that? We talked that afternoon. It got me thinking. It's just one of many conversations that I have like that on a regular basis. Well, Pascal's Wager, how many of you are familiar with that? Pascal's Wager. It's a theory that outlines the argument for belief in God as the most rational approach to life. Its main premise is that if God really does exist, the potential reward of belief outweighs the potential punishment for the lack thereof. If God doesn't exist, the upside of unbelief isn't that big a win over living as if God does. And while I think this is a rational argument, and at times it's spoken to me, now it really doesn't do that for me. It really doesn't do anything for me. You see, I want to live for something. I don't just want to hedge my bets, y'all. Like, I, I don't want to just have God there as a, as a plan B, maybe, or a backstop. For me, that's what following Jesus means. I understand and accept that I may be totally wrong, but what I've come to find out is that what I've come to find in the way of Jesus is something I understand and experience as good and true and beautiful. I see it as something that can build healthy community, that allows for the fullness of my humanity and the humanity of others, that allows for the fullness of, of the flourish of the entire community, it offers a durable hope and meaning in the world where those things are few and fleeting. But it isn't easy, is it? It isn't easy to hold on to this faith in our world. And the main work I feel that I have, other than nurturing faith in my own fickle heart, is just fighting to disentangle Christianity from the BS in our society that has attached it to the faith, that uses the names and the words and the practices and the symbols, but is so far from what I understand Christianity to be that it would be laughable if it weren't so damnable. I haven't figured this out by any means, but I have a good idea of what it's not. 
the book of Hebrews, which is more of a sermon than a letter, helps us all with this struggle. This is, this is one of the reasons why we chose to dig into Hebrews at this time with this group. It helps us answer the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? It's not wrong to ask that, y'all. It's not wrong to take to regularly take stock and go, is, is this worth it? Christianity is not, it's not a conscription into a chain gang. It's not an obligation. Yes, at times, just like when I do weddings, you know, I, I often say, you know, sometimes your vows will carry you. When you can't keep your vows, your vows will keep you, the vows will keep you. It is the same with our faith. Look, we don't we don't just wake up every morning and decide today do I feel like being a Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do believe that there are times where it's good and even necessary to lay it all out and say, where am I in all this? Is this working? And Hebrews gives us a context to do that. And this is especially important now during the Lenten season which I believe ultimately is a time designated by the church to do that, to take stock with that. The title of this, I titled it Hold On, but it could also be titled Let Go. Because Lent is a time of letting go. Letting go of the things that oppress us, letting go of the guilt, letting go of um, hurts, but only after we've dealt with them. It's not, a, it's not a, hey, let's just move on, let's just move on, put those things behind us. No, it's dealing with those things so that we can be free to move on through them. And the reason why I say this is found in the very first words of Hebrews as we start our, our study today. And I would encourage you, anytime we start a study like this, read the whole book. Read the whole, it's 13 chapters. Read the whole book of Hebrews. There's some weird stuff in there we're going to talk about that is just not going to land at all. That's okay. Do not feel like you have to understand it all. Nobody does. Even those who say they do, don't. Okay? Nobody understands all this. But it starts with these words. After God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the world. The son is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence. And he sustains all things by his powerful, powerful word so that when he has accomplished cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Look, Jesus is the reason for the season, y'all, for Lent. <laughs> I mean, it, that's fun to say at Christmas, but it's, it's especially true now. Because we have been given this person, because God has spoken before, but ultimately to, to really bring all things together, gives us the person of Jesus, we then have the freedom and the ability to ask the questions to bring our whole selves, our whole balled up, complex selves 
to God and to each other and to look at. We, we, we have the freedom and the, not just the freedom, but the opportunity, the invitation, and the encouragement to do that. This is not, when it, it's just mind-blowing. I get so overwhelmed when I, when I read other religions and I read other philosophies and I read all these other things, and they're all basically just big, fat to-do list. Do this, don't do that. Here's a little secret insider job. Here's a life hack. Here's a shortcut. Or here's a mountain you can climb and get your badge stamped. I mean, it's all just effort and struggle and earning. And with Jesus, we get someone who does all that for us who comes to us after having done that for us. It's a radically, Christianity is a radically different proposition. And this is why it is so damnable when it gets tied up with nationalism and exclusivism and all these things because it, it corrupts the very core of the reality of what it is. It's not just a denominational break, y'all. It's not just a, a, a break over, you know, whether we're going to sing with instruments or without instruments or whether we're going to use this version of the Bible or not. No, it is a corruption of the very core of the message of what the faith is. So look, we believe at grace that the the all-encompassing work and message of Jesus is sufficient for us to love without condition and to welcome without prerequisites. This fuels our practice of inviting others to belong with us, to join with us in this practice. Y'all, this is, this is why we do this. Is because of, yes, we have doctrine and yes, we have theology, but those are, those are tools for understanding more of who Jesus is. They're not a replacement of the person of Jesus. We have been given everything we need, not just to persevere, but to flourish through our apprenticeship with Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And like I said earlier, it's okay to ask questions. I think Lent is that time of taking stock, of judging what is leading us more and more towards a life that flourishes in God or away from it. Repentance is such a churchy word, right? And it's used usually often. It's used vindictively or condemningly. But at its core, repentance is just, you don't have to do that. You don't have to keep living that way that is producing this pain. You don't have to keep believing those things that are bringing you shame and guilt in these things. Like, like turn away from those things. It's an, repentance, the... the the invitation to repent is an invitation to, to live more, not less, with that. And that's what Lent is about. It's about taking stock and repenting. And yes, being sorrowful. You're, you're always sorrowful when you realize that you could have done, you could have had a different outcome if you had done something different. That's not that's not bad. That's what helps us 
stay true to what we find that is good with that. Now, when it becomes crippling shame and things like that, that's a different story. But the basic response of sorrow when we have hurt, we found we've hurt ourselves or hurt someone else, intentionally or unintentionally, that, that's a gift from God. And that's something we lean into. And then we also are free to lean in to the sorrow of the, of the, of the hurt that's been done to us intentionally or unintentionally. It's okay to name that hurt. It's okay to be sorrowful for that. We live in a world where we just hurt each other, y'all. I mean, I was just reminded this week, no good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) Even with the best of motives, even with the most information that a person can have, We just don't know what the outcome of our decisions are going to be. And oftentimes it involves hurting other people. That's part of our human condition. And again, because we're free from the constraint of having to be perfect, of having to earn, of having to know these things, we can then sit with that and not let it just drag us to the bottom of a lake. And Lent is that time where we can do that. I want to encourage you, we, we um, Laura mentioned it earlier, we produced a Lent guide this year, but use those resources, especially in our society, which denies even the um, existence of death for most of the time much less sorrow. It's something we have to practice. It's something we have to, to intentionally put ourselves. And it sounds, it sounds so contrary to our society, right? Hey, we want, let's, practice, let's all practice being sad. Like, like that sounds like a crazy person talking in our society, right? We're, we're built on the ultimate denial and, and just effervescent eternal happiness. But this is not morbid. This is taking legitimate, sober stock of where we are, what's happening in our lives with that. So use those resources. And understand that before we can say yes to something, we also need to say no to something else. And that's why Lent, 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 giving up something on Lent is not earning something. It's not, it's not a way of just trying to earn something. It's a, it's a way of revelation. It's a way of actually asking the question that we can't figure out theoretically. We can only figure out experientially, is this thing good for me? Is this thing producing fruit in my life or is it not? Is this thing bringing in more peace and opportunity or is it leading me away from those things? That's why we practice abstaining from things. In that, it it helps us also to get control of our appetites, because in a society that says your appetite is your god, do what feels good. If it feels good, do more of it. We have to learn to at least understand those things. Um, it also helps us just understand that some things. Some things that we thought might have been good for us were actually just, they, they were a good idea, but they weren't really the best idea. 
you know, with that. And so it helps us evaluate. It helps us understand what is durable, resistant, meaningful, and the things <clears throat> that are worth our time and effort. And then the great thing about Lent is, which I only learned after a few years of practicing it, is that Sabbath, um, in traditional Lenten practice, anything that you're fasting from, you're prohibited to fast from that on Sabbath. Sabbath is always supposed to be a day of rest and enjoyment. So you have to, you have to fast from fasting on Sabbaths. Now, look, it's not rigid. It's not regimental. But it's, it's interesting to me to see the mercy of God even in the midst of our series of confession, of evaluation, and repentance with that. Um, so that's, that's why we're doing this with this. I want to give a little bit of the overview of the book. Um, because Hebrews is going to be our companion, our companion through this journey of Lent, Easter, and into the summer. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. There are strong arguments uh, that, it, that um, it could have been various people. The one that I lean towards the most, even though it's probably, I have to admit, it's probably more emotionally driven, or it's weighted heavily by my emotions, is that it was written by Priscilla that there is, that we have evidence of female authorship of one of the books in canon with this. And there's, there's some pretty compelling evidence for that. However, it's not enough to be absolute. But there's also not enough for anybody to be absolute with this. It's not a traditional epistle. It is more like a sermon. It doesn't have the traditional greeting that you would have at the front. It is more structured as an argument, in a way, than it is as a letter with that. So we need to understand that. that this, And that's why, that's why I want to be clear. Like, this was given to encourage people. Well, who were the people that it was given to? Who, were the, who was the audience? It, it seems to be a, a locally-based group of Jewish believers. Believers who are, are very familiar with the Torah. Alex introduced it last week, this idea of sampling and the music, how we sample from different songs. Well, this is, Hebrews is just littered with cut and paste clips from the Old Testament with this. We're going to talk more about that as we go through. But the audience, it would, you would only do that if the audience was familiar with those things. It's, it's shorthand, right? It's shorthand for ideas and for concepts that they're using with that. So the audience, we see, it seems to be one that had come to follow Jesus, but were, but were from Jewish background, so it's not like the Galatians who were coming from a Gentile background with that. Um, <clears throat> this is also one of the reasons why I find this resonates with us. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like oftentimes the, the Christianity that I practice now is so different from the Christianity I grew up with. It almost feels like a conversion from Judaism to, Christ, to a different faith. I, I know all the stuff, right? I, I, I can, I can. I was looking through the hymn book with Jeff earlier. Like I know all the songs, right? 
Like you could you could pop out stuff and references and in Cliff Notes, and I know all those, but I think of them very differently now than I did. And that's what we're going to see is all of these things that were being pulled from the background, these people's backgrounds, their experience, is now being reformed. It's being used to a different intent. It's giving a different understanding of it with that. <clears throat> also, the persecution, the, the, the other thing that, that most commentators will tell you is that one of the reasons why this is an encouragement for the people to, to keep to the faith, which we're going to see, is that they were being persecuted and it wasn't the Romans who were persecuting them. It was the community that they came out of, the religious community that they came out of. I feel that, y'all. I I feel that. Now, granted, some of it's my imagination. I, I know that. But I, 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 I understand and I've experienced the strain of the broken relationship when people understand fully how I practice my faith right now as a Christian. Seems heretical to them. And that's... That's not easy, especially for someone like me who wants everybody to love me. I just want everybody to love me and everybody to be happy and everybody to get along. Um, and so I think as we, read, as we read these words in Hebrews and we understand that persecution and the conflict that the people were enduring, we can identify with that. There's something there for us. At the same time, we have to remember that this was written to a community 2,000 years ago, y'all, in a very different context, very different theology. And we're going to talk about those differences as we go. So there's going to be bridges to where we can identify, and then there's going to be gaps that we just can't overcome. And we're not going to spend a lot of time. I'm not going to, we, as we develop these messages, my intent is not to try to paper over those gaps or give kind of facile easy answers and but you know don't don't tap on that too too hard or it might shatter type of answers like like we're just going to sit we're we're going to put a lot in the bucket of we just don't know that just doesn't make any sense with this um and that's part of our context here that's part of what we're doing is we're going to find some things that are timeless some things that speak as if they were written to us there's 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 verses and there's things in this book that you're going to read it, hopefully, and you're going to go, that was for me. Like, how, like that. the question, have you ever felt God speak to you, right? Like, you're going to read it and go, okay, God wrote that for me in this book. How did that happen? And then there's going to be other things that we just understand. That was for them. It wasn't for us. It's not going to make sense to us. And we just, we just let them have it. That, that was great for them. So we, we will become good, hopefully, at, at parsing out what is timeless and what is um, timely with that as we do it. Um, we're going to see one huge um, rhetorical framework through here, and it's reflected in our communal confession. And that's this idea of that we have and because we have. So there's going to be a lot, and if you and if if you are still of the old school and you like to bring your Bible and your highlighters, I want to encourage you to do this. Every time you come across those terms, 
we have and because we have. Highlight them, underline them, uh, copy, paste them, whatever. That That is the framework here is we have, and then it's going to go on to tell you what we have, either in Jesus or in the Spirit or whatever, and then it's going to make the argument, and because we have this, what then should we do about that? What should be our response? But that's the narrative rhetorical framework that we're going to get. And the other thing, and this is the last thing kind of as we look, and we'll, we'll revisit these things as we go through, is this, this, we use this big seminary word. Alex challenged me to, to say this where a six-year-old can understand it. I haven't been able to do that, so y'all are going to have to help me. But there's this thing that we practice called a Christological hermeneutic. Yes, right? I mean, what six-year-old wouldn't understand that? Come on. Um, but the Christological hermeneutic is really what set me free from a fundamentalist, legalistic understanding of the Bible. It is, it is literally the key for me, theologically. And what that, what that basically says is we interpret all of Scripture through the person of Jesus, is that Jesus helps us understand Everything. And if there is a conflict, we default to Jesus. If we ever, we, we should never understand God not acting like Jesus. God always acts like Jesus. Even when it doesn't look like that, we don't understand it. We go back and go, okay, but what about Jesus? And that's how we resolve. And look, I, I'm not going again, I grew up kind of in a culture that expected the Bible to be easy. That if you just read it, right, and listened to a couple, you know, tapes or whatever, and you, you get you get it. This is not easy stuff, y'all. There's a reason why Hebrews has some very well-known passages, a few, and a whole lot of stuff that is never preached. I, I'm just telling you, there is a whole lot of this book that never gets preached in churches because it's not easy. But I believe there's enough here, and I believe what it does offer is so essential. And one of those main things is this idea, like we just read, that God spoke through all these various ways, but now God speaks through Jesus. Now Jesus has been invested with all authority, all power, and all position. He Jesus has the final say. That's it. That's the Christological hermeneutic. So when we read this through, that's the argument that is being made is why we should adopt that way of interpreting the Bible, our faith, the, um, what we do. That's, that's Hebrew is, is, is an argument for using that understanding with that. And I've got to tell you, <clears throat> when you do that, when you really fully embrace that, it is incredibly freeing, and it is also terrifying. Because if you have come to rely in your life on certain theological, philosophical constructs, and then you understand that, that really those things are now subject to this understanding of Jesus, it can be incredibly disorienting. 
it can it can feel very disorienting with that. But that's why we have the book is to encourage us to stick with it. So um, I'm gonna ask Jeff and the and the team to come back up here. Like I said earlier, this this is hold on, but also let go. Um, that's what I want to encourage us through this this season of Lent is is to use this time with true sober intention to evaluate what is it that I'm holding on that I need to let go of so that I can pick up something better with that. I want to encourage you to to read the whole book if you can't be here on a Sunday afternoon to listen to the podcast because a lot of the argument here is sequential. It builds on each other. It's not like you'll get lost, but it's just going to be, it's going to have more impact if you do it together. Um, It's worth it, y'all. But don't take my word for it. Don't just accept it because I've got the microphone on and I'm saying it. Do the work. Do the work. Ask the questions. Weigh it out. Wrestle with it. Don't take the easy road. Thanks for being here. We we are going to do our, we're going to worship now. This is a time for reflection. This is a time for, if something's spoken to you, write it down. If you have to tell somebody, you have to take a note in your phone, whatever you do, don't let it go. Um, but then we will, we will gather up together to take communion at the end after um, we sing together. So thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.